All right, we are in the middle of a series on the book of Mark, looking at the book of Mark, looking at the encounters that Jesus has with different people, uh, and to kind of take stock in that and understand what it could mean for us today. And something that's kind of cool, just want to let you know, is that um, the church that they're building in Panama, one of the cool things that they did is they asked Pastor Barton if he would speak this morning to be the first person to speak in that new church in honor of the fact that um, our team was able to go and build the church. So I thought that was kind of cool um, that they gave him that honor. And so while we're here today doing what we're doing here, he is there speaking to them in their brand new church. And so it's cool to see that connection and how God does cool stuff like that. Um, Well, I have not been a Christian my whole life. Uh, There was a lot of things about my life before I I knew Jesus that was definitely um, not Jesus-like. I'll tell you that much. And when I thought about Jesus in that point in my life, I kind of had this uh, combination of like uh, Yoda from Star Wars and uh, Mr. Rogers and kind of put those two things, you know, the big wise um, Yoda would speak in these weird terms and these weird ways, and you kind of knew what he was talking about, but not really. And then this Mr. Rogers neighborhood guy that was really nice and kind and never said a bad thing and put those two things together, and that was my, my, the Jesus that I kind of thought about um, before I really knew who Jesus was. Then I became a Christian. Then I became someone intently involved in understanding, come to terms with who Jesus was, gave my life to him, began to follow him, and as I got a Bible and began to read it, I realized that the Jesus that I thought I knew and I, I, know I always came to mind before I actually followed him was a very different Jesus than who the Jesus is of the Bible and who Jesus really is. And so uh, I just kind of want you to kind of see some of the things that we're going to talk about today are very contrary to our normal way of thinking. And one of the things that we have to come to terms with when we become a follower of Jesus is most of the things that we've learned about life um, are backwards. And when you come to Jesus and you begin to follow him, you realize that the way you've been living is very different than how you should have been living. And your habits change. And the way you even think about things change. The way you respond to people change. The way you do things, the reasons you do things change. The motives for things change. Everything begins to change. Um, And Jesus is, is... Jesus doesn't pull any punches with a lot of people. He is very diligent about forming his people into who he wants them to be. He wants us to have this life that is, that is sanctified, which means is built upon who Jesus is and is always um, being sanctified. In other words, always being renewed, always being brought closer and closer to the likelihood of who Jesus is. We are to, be, uh, we are to replicate who Jesus is, and we'll get more into that in just a little bit. Um, but even if you haven't been following Jesus, even if you're not a follower of Jesus, let's say, let's say for a minute that you're in this room and you're not quite sure where you stand yet. Jesus is a cool guy. Maybe you're where I was. Yoda, Mr. Rogers, somewhere in there. Um, or you're just not quite, there's so many things to choose from in the world from, you know, from a religious standpoint. You're not really sure how can somebody really know that Jesus is who he says he is and is the only way, is the only way you can think. It seems so narrow. Um, I understand and I sympathize with you and I was there at one point. And I want you just to understand one thing. And that is that if what Jesus said was true, If what Jesus says about himself, and if the Bible is true, and if the things that he says about us are true, and our sin nature, and the way that we have to uh, come to terms with that, and the way that we have to uh, come to him for our salvation, if that's true, then, then that's an enormous invitation. Because here's something that's true about that invitation. It doesn't matter who you are, the invitation is for you. 
It doesn't matter where you were born. It doesn't matter what you believe right now. It doesn't matter what your, uh, what religious system you were brought up in. It doesn't matter how many people you've hurt. It doesn't matter how many swear words you said on the way to church this morning. It doesn't matter how many times you come to church. That does not make you a Christian. It doesn't matter how many, what, what matters is coming to the saving knowledge of who Jesus is. Repenting, which means you have a heartfelt desire to, be, to begin to serve him besides yourself. And Jesus is going to get to the bottom of this, of how our world can actually see through us as his followers, how they can get a glimpse of what that looks like. He's going to use two people to do that today. So let's look at our Bibles, and we're going to open to Mark. We're in Mark 2 right now in our, in our journey through Mark. And this is what it says. It says, Then Jesus went out to the lakeshore again. We're in Mark 2.13. Then Jesus went out to the lakeshore again and taught the crowds that were coming to him. As he walked along, he saw Levi, a son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me and be my disciple. Jesus said to him, So Levi got up and followed him. Now, there's something that I need to explain to you before we can go on because it's going to be very important uh, as, as we get into this. So let me define what a tax collector is and let me give you a little background here. So the dictionary definition of a tax collector is this, a person who collects financial charges imposed on individuals or corporations, we would know them as taxes, whom have not paid those charges in a timely manner according to those imposing the charges. Now, I've been uh, twice, I've, I've had the privilege of going to Northern Ireland, Belfast, Northern Ireland, for a missions trip, 2006 and 2008. Uh, there, it's an amazing place. Uh, there, it's a very different culture than the United States. Uh, they do speak English, so it is easier to communicate, but they have a really sweet accent. I love that accent of the uh, Northern Ireland. And uh, they drive on the other side of the street, which is really confusing at first. In fact, I almost died my first trip there because I looked the wrong way before crossing and a car went whizzing by me and I realized, you should go first. You people that live here, you should go in front of me so that I know what I'm doing. And so, uh, but there's a lot of things that are, I, I never really felt out of place. Um, the cult, the bar- there's no barrier for our common language, so it was a, a great place to go for my first missions trips. But one of the things that I found intriguing, and I don't know if you've noticed this, but you can read something in a history book, you could read something on someone's blog, and it doesn't really hit home until you hear personal stories from the people. Um, it's not, it, it becomes more than facts, and it becomes someone's story and somebody's journey of how they've experienced these things. And one of the things that was impressed upon me um, was the power of the paramilitary in their world. In their culture, um, it was told that 40% of their building costs were given to the paramilitary. Now you're probably saying, yeah, what does that mean? Well, let's say I wanted to build, let's say I wanted to build a market, like a, a grocery store, just a small little grocery store. And, and, and I get all the building costs together. I get my insurance together. I get my, everything that I need. I get it all together. And it comes to $100,000. If everything comes to $100,000, $40,000 of that is paid to the paramilitary. Now, what does that get me? Those 40 G's guarantees me that they won't burn it down when I build it. That's all it gets. That's it. I just paid 40 grand so you don't burn down my... You know what I just did? In, a, in an adult way, I basically ch- just paid off the bully for my lunch money. That's all I did. A big bully, I gave him my lunch money so he doesn't beat me up. That's all that is going on. And so, uh, now I want you to think how ridiculous this is. Because we don't have to go through that in America. Yeah, we, have pe- we, have, we pay taxes. But, but we don't pay extra money on top of things just so people don't burn it down. And we get things from our taxes. We have paved roads most of the time. We have 
uh, plowed roads most of the time, right? We, we get things from our taxes that supply certain things. We have our own opinions and our own thoughts about what to, how, you know, how to deal with that stuff. But, but there, the only thing that they're paying for is for someone not to burn their place down. 40 Gs. 40% of their building costs. That's, that's a crazy amount of money. Um, now, I want you to think of how you would grow to despise these people. Imagine if you knew a friend or perhaps even a family member who, because they couldn't or wouldn't pay, had their stuff burned down or were attacked or some other form of retribution for not doing what the cultural norm is. That would be pretty difficult to deal with. Your heart would begin to be conditioned to despise them. Your heart would begin to grow cold and weary towards them. You wouldn't love them. You would hate them. They're destroying what is rightfully yours. Now, back in the day, tax collectors would basically be placing similar burdens on the people for the, in name of the Roman Empire. But they didn't initiate the idea of a tax. Let me, let me clear this up. The idea of a tax is a biblical idea. Back in Exodus, Exodus 30, actually, is where we get this idea. And the Levites, which were the, the uh, religious leaders, and they were doing religious duties and making sacrifices and doing all the things that God had set up to do for the people of Israel, the Levites were in charge of that. They didn't own land. They, couldn't, they didn't make a living. They didn't have a trade. They weren't fishermen. They were just doing the sacrificial things that the Lord had asked them to do. And because of that, this tithe, these offerings would be given to the Levites for, their, for, they, for them to have a living. And so, um, so what was meant to be something that provided something for those people that were performing those, sacrifice, those sacrifices became extortion. Because when the people began to set up human kings, they, they didn't mind doing that for God because God had a purpose for it. And it wasn't burdensome. It wasn't heavy. It wasn't, they weren't oppressed. They began to add civil taxes on top of it. So not only were there tithes and offerings, but now they have human kings at one point. And those kings were imposing even more taxes. Now, to make matters worse, those taxes were, were huge. They were a burden on the people. Then there'd be a foreign king who said, if your king doesn't pay us a tribute, what's called a tribute, so now you've got a tax, now you've got a, you've got a tithe, you've got a tax, then we add on to it a tribute so that the big mean king over there doesn't send his huge army to attack us and kill us. So now you've got the tithe, you've got the civil tax, and you've got a foreign tribute, all put on the people of that nation to pay. Now, the worst part about this and the reason why tax collectors were so despised and so hated in their culture was because not only were they called to collect that money, which put a tremendous burden on the people, but they were also pocketing their own part of it. They were adding to it and making... See, you didn't... They would get the information from the, from the Romans, Roman officers. And then they could tell the people whatever they want. They could tell them it's any amount. The people wouldn't know the difference, but they have to pay it or else there's going to be, there's going to be um, you know, some trouble going on in their, in their neighborhood. And they were told to pay this. And it came out and it was known that some of the tax collectors were corrupt and they would pocket some of the money. They would ask for more than the king asked for and they would put that in their pocket and then give the king what he asked for. This was well known. So I want you to consider that all these things are being placed upon the... So these people begin to hate these tax collectors. Now, there's another person I want to introduce to you. I'm not going to tell you who he is yet. I'm just going to tell you what he was. He's a zealot. I don't know if you ever heard of the term a zealot before, but I'm going to explain to you what it is. The dictionary version is this. A member of a radical, warlike, 
ardently patriotic group of Jews in Judea, particularly prominent from A.D. 69 to A.D. 81, advocating the violent overthrow of Roman rule and vigorously resisting the efforts of the Romans and their supporters to heathenize the Jews. Okay, that's a really big definition. Let me tell you what it really means. It means zealots assassinated tax collectors. That's what they did. They would kill them. They were terrorists of tax collectors. That's what their job was. They formed this group of people because they were so sick and tired of the Roman government imposing these cruel and unusual laws on them that they took action into their own hands. Now, zealots, being Jewish, Jewish in heritage, they believed that God and only God deserved to, uh, had the right to rule over the Jews. So the fact that the Roman Empire was asking for things like money and taxes and all these things was utterly crazy to these guys. So they were working under the pretense that they were doing God's will. God does not want us to pay you, a pagan king, anything. That's treason. That's treason against our God. How can we give you any? You're doing things that are unrighteous. You're doing things that are wrong. You're doing things that are immoral. I'm not going to give you anything, so we're going to kill you because that's moral. So the, Roman, the Romans start, start fighting back, and eventually they push the zealots underground. The zealots didn't stop. They just became secretive and selective. They began to choose higher-ranking officials and start with them in each community and begin working down. They actually formed a group of elite terrorists called, uh, that the locals would call the Sakari. And the Sakari means, to us, it would mean dagger men. And the reason why, and that the vengeful part of me, I love movies like Gladiator and Patriot, and where, you know, someone, or Taken, oh, where someone just goes crazy over the bad guys. And these guys, they, they would form these daggers, and they were, they were um, like mini sickles, I guess. And they were these rounded, huge knives, and they would hold them in the, in the folds of their robe, and they could kill you in an instant. They practiced and trained, and they, could go, they would go through your back and come up and pierce your heart through the front. So they go, see ya. Merry Christmas. They could do it in a crowd of people. They could walk up to you and they would go, they would go right up through your back and then they just walk out in a crowd. They, someone would fall over and no one would know what happened. They were secret assassins of specific targets. Now, with that being said, I want to look at Matthew 2. I'm sorry, Matthew 10, verse 2. And we're going to look at a list of the apostles that Jesus called. You ready? So here are the names of the 12 apostles. First, Simon, also called Peter. Then Andrew, Peter's brother. James, son, son of Zebedee. John, James's brother. Philip, Bartholomew, Thomas. Matthew, the tax collector. James, son of Alphaeus. Thaddeus, Simon, the zealot. Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. Who are the only two people that their occupations are named? Matthew and Simon. Do you know why? Because to everyone looking at this, to a Jewish person reading this text, it would be absolutely crazy that those two people are walking with each other. And they want those people to know that that's who Jesus was calling. Jesus was calling two people that have no business working together to work together. Two people. It is quite possible that Simon has killed some of Matthew's men. It is quite possible that Matthew knows friends of his that were killed by some of these zealots. And here Jesus is saying, here are the people that I have called to be under my direction. This in itself is revolutionary. A terrorist and a terrorized. 
working together, playing for the same team, aiming for the same goal, working for the same master. So while these unlikely teammates are traveling with Jesus, he starts delivering some startling commands. So this is who he calls. Now they're there. He starts giving them some commands. In Matthew 10, 25, he states, it's not an, it is enough for the student to be his teacher, basically stating that it's not merely enough to know what I know, but I'm calling you to do what I do. I'm calling you to be like me. I'm calling you to act like me. I'm calling you to respond to others like me. Pretty powerful. The verse goes on to say, and the servant like his master, which basically means that people under you rule over you, that you are to do whatever you can for the best of your ability to serve those under you, not to lord your power over them, but to use your power for their benefit. Now, what's the purpose of all this? Check out this verse. A new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. This verse, we've heard, if you've been a Christian for about seven minutes, you've heard this verse because I just said it. But other than that, you've heard this verse somewhere along your Christian life. This verse has come up because we use it a lot. But it has a really, I rem, when, I, when, I, when I realized what Jesus was saying and it kind of began to blow my mind because he's, he's looking at this group of disciples and I, and I just couldn't help but think of Matthew and Simon hearing this. A new command I give you. You've heard a lot of things said about how you're supposed to react and how you're supposed to treat each other and how you're supposed to live life and what you're supposed to do, tooth for tooth, get back at each other, stick up for yourself, you know, whatever. Love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, all men, all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. What he's saying, basically, is if we don't start doing what we're supposed to do within the folds of those that love Jesus and the folds of those that follow him, the world is going to laugh at us. We're going to look like a bunch of dumb people who are simply stuck in our arrogant ways of telling people how to live their lives when we can't even get our own junk together. That's what it's going to look like. Jesus is saying, Matthew, Simon, it ends today. You're done. No more hating each other. I know you're all mad. I know your friends are going to think you're crazy. I know, Matthew, when you tell your friends that you actually love Simon, you don't just tolerate Simon, Matthew. You love him. You love him. You're going to stick up for him. You're going to protect his integrity. When other people want to mock him, you're going to come to his aid. At your own expense, you're going to do this. Simon, you're going to do the same thing. I know you hate what Matthew used to do. He used to rob your people of their hard-earned money, and he would pocket some of it. We're going to get to that. I'm going to ask for some of that back. I'm going to change Matthew's heart. I'm going to do the work, but you have to let me do the work and chill out. That's what your job is, Simon and Matthew. Believe me. They're only going to know that you love me and that you're my disciples when you do this. That's how they know. I want you to understand something, that this is a very difficult but important thing for us to understand because I think that there's lots of things that we think we're supposed to do as Christians to prove our worth to the world. And while we try to do really, try to excel in those areas, we give ourselves so much slack to be angry and frustrated and slanderous to our own people, to our own people. Not only people some other place, Christians somewhere else, even within here, our room. Sometimes we're not that loving all the time, right? 
Sometimes we justify our responses to each other because we're right. Man, if that was the reasoning for yelling at someone because you're right, I would yell at everyone because I'm always right. <laughs> I mean, come on, right? Listen to this. Simon, this is what Jesus would, Simon, Matthew, when, you, when people see you walking down the street, not simply tolerating each other, but actually declaring your devotion to the life of the other above your very own, they will know something's happened to you. A lot of people pray. Everyone meets together to read the scriptures in the synagogues. But you're going to shift the very fabric of this world. You're going to love beyond every means possible the very people you have learned and have been conditioned to hate. Now let's bring it, to a, let's bring it down to our level. I want, you to, I want you to think for a minute, who are people that you can't stand? Now, I guarantee you that some of you right now, even if someone popped in your little head there, someone was like, oh, oh man, God, why? Why you got to do that now? Just let the man speak. Let him finish. Maybe it gets better. <laughs> Only worse from here, folks. So, right? I mean, let's think about it. Let me put it even more down. Let me, let me, let me offend all of you. Ready? So someone in your life you don't like, maybe it's a group of people. Maybe it's politicians you think you have the right to bash. Hmm. Maybe it's your kids' teachers or coaches or leaders that you think, I have a better opinion than them. If I were them, this is what I do. When you say those things in front of your kids, oh, baby, you're teaching them something. What we say matters. Not just what we say in front of other people, what we say about other people matters. This is an important thing. I think we train ourselves to justify our responses because we think that we're right. And then when we actually come to a place where we could say something good, we don't even know how because we've never done that before. We're just so used to bashing and ridiculing and being arrogant and boastful. We don't even know it. It's foreign to us. It's so subtle. Here's something we have to get used to. And if you write stuff down, this is something you can write down. If you're a note taker, this is, this is something you want to write down. We have to see the sins of our friends and our enemies as opportunities to serve, not ammo for destruction. We have to see the sins of others as opportunities to serve, not ammo for destruction. When you hear about something that somebody else is doing as sinful and wrong and opinionated and arrogant and dumb as it might be, in no way, shape, or form will God ever ask you to go tell everyone else about it. If anything, he will ask you to pray for that person, maybe to approach them one-on-one -on -one and let them in on the secret that everyone else already knows that they're being a schmuck. <laughs> That's fine. You, we should do that with each other. We should be able to, or we should have the right sometimes to be able to speak into the lives of other people that we love. But to say that publicly, you want, here's some subtle ways that we do this. Ready? On Facebook, um, the easiest target is celebrities because they're out there. They say these crazy things. And then we find these little pictures with words that they supposedly said. I could create that right now for you and put it on Facebook. You don't even know if they said it or not, first of all. But we can put whatever we want on there and it could have their little quote and then everyone shares it. Oh, rah, rah, rah. <laughs> Useless. They'll know you're my disciples by how many posts you put on Facebook about how dumb celebrities are. Nope. Not in there. 
It's not in my app anyway. Maybe it's in the paper version. Maybe they changed it when they went digital. I don't know. So that's a subtle way. We justify it. We're, we're really tough when we're behind a screen, by the way. Somehow we, somehow we get really tough behind a screen. But when we're in front of people, we're a little bit more docile. We're a little bit more, I'm going to wait till I get home and then I'm really going to let them have it. Until I get on Facebook, then they're going to get it. That's what we kind of think to our, or we'll comment on somebody's post or we'll do something we do. And celebrities are the easiest ones to do because they're so far away from us. We don't really see how we're harming anything. We're just sharing our view. Hey, they shared their view. I can share mine. Okay, we'll see how that goes for you. They'll know you're my disciples by how you love each other, not by how right you are, by how much you love each other. So, um, so that's, that's one way uh, that we can do that. The other way that we can do that um, is just at our kitchen table. And I've kind of mentioned this before, but how we talk about people, that's where you're the safest usually. That's where who you really are comes out is within your home with the people that you feel the most comfortable with. That's who you are comes to the surface because there's no hiding. You don't care about what people think. You've already gone through all that. You're not worried about it. So all the junk just starts flying out. So think about what you're saying when you're in the comfort of your own home because that's usually what your heart is really being molded into. The third way to do this um, is what I would call... uh, um, It's a pseudo-prayer It's not really... it's, It's within prayer. But when we share secrets of other people within the context of a prayer group, that's just gossip. It's just gossip. When you begin to start sharing your opinion about, oh, you know, they, we got to pray for that family because, man, if they just knew, if they could just get their act together, I'm just so sick and tired of marriages and I'm sick and tired of this and I'm sick and tired of that and I'm tired of that person and I'm tired of this person and you know what else I think? You know what else I think? Oh, the government and then this and blah, 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 hey, oh, now it's not even a prayer service anymore. We got to hold, you got to pray for you. Got to hold you back. And I'm, I'll be, I'm guilty. I am guilty of all guilt. So I am not, in no way, sh- you, th- that's why I know that this is true because I do it all the time. Do you know where else I do it? In the line at Wegmans. The poor woman at Wegmans. She's just too slow. I can't handle it. Put the, scan it. Scan the item. I'm always behind the person looking for pennies in their purse. We have apps. Just scan it. Get a phone. I get bothered when people have, uh, when, they, when you look at their email and it's got the, it's got like, they have 3,000 inbo- messages in their inbox. Oh my gosh, my heart palpitates. I can't handle it. There's 3,000 people waiting for you. <laughs> Don't you care? I have a disease. I can't even handle that. I'm like insta-texter. I get a text. If I hear my phone go off, I'll, I'll be like miles away and I'll hear it. And I'll just have to, I'll, whatever's happening in that moment, I have a disease because I'll, I, I stop listening. Whatever is going on, Carrie could be having an, our, our next child someday and my phone will go off and I'll be like, oh man, my phone went off. Honey, I got, don't stay there. Wait, wait for me. I have a disease. If those things bother me, if they, They're not assassinating me. They're not robbing me of money. They just have poor management skills. (laughs) Who cares? And they probably don't even care. So why should I care so much about their 3,000 emails? Hallelujah. Okay. Thank you for my, thank you for my counseling session. Appreciate you guys listening to me. 
But, in the se- but I want you to see that as goofy as that sounds, we get so upset over the dumbest things. And we've become conditioned that it's okay to just voice your opinion in any way, shape, or form because you have the right to say what you want to say. And those people are damaging our system of society. And we need to take a stand for something. While you're doing that, the people within the church need each other. While you're doing that, while you're out fighting a war that Jesus never asked you to fight, we're suffering within the church because oftentimes those words are against each other. This last verse I want to share with you is our starting point, if you want to get someplace with this. James 5.16 Therefore, confess your sins to each other. If you have a Bible in your hand or you have an app or however you're doing it, highlight it, circle the word sins and underline the word confess. Confess your sins, not tell other people's secrets. We are really quick to tell everyone else about everyone else. And we're really slow to just open up our own lives. We hide all that stuff inside as if there's really nothing going on inside of us. But there's a lot of junk going on inside of us. But man, it feels so good to talk about everyone else, doesn't it? Man, that feels so much better. It makes me feel so much. I mean, that's why we watch Jerry Springer, right? Our lives look so much better after one episode. The only reason I know this is possible is because our sins, my sins, your sins are safe with Jesus. Jesus knows every single one of them. And yet, he says, come to me. He knows every single one of them. But he says, come to me. Do you know that no matter what I've done against anyone on this planet, I have ultimately done it against him. So as angry and upset as the world should be at times about me, which definitely, I'm a butthead sometimes. He is the one that actually gets to say, no, Mike, you have no part in me anymore. And he doesn't. He's the only one with the right to do it. And he decides to withhold it. So if my sins can be handled by Jesus like that, then I want to get so close to Jesus that I handle my sins like that and that I handle the sins of others like that and that I can handle hearing atrocious things about people, especially when they're in the wrong and protect the integrity and their character that Jesus wants to have in them. So if I'm going to confront, I'm going to confront privately and lovingly, not publicly, not going to confront people through social media I'm not going to confront people by sidestepping and passively aggressively doing it through other people and talking about how I think that that person should live and what this person should do and how I don't approve of this relationship and blah, 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 blah. I'm going to do it with them or I'm not going to do it at all. I would say this, as bold as this sounds, if you don't have the guts to talk to the person, then don't talk about it at all. That's all I can tell you because you're not going to do any good to that situation or to the gospel message. This stuff is really hard, and I find it intriguing that Jesus calls such a diverse group of people into his closest group. This 12 people were his closest group. They were the people that he was calling and sending out and calling back and sending back out and forming into 
his church. A zealot and a tax collector, two despised people in their community coming together to serve our mighty king. They'll know something's changing when you respond to gossip with, I love them. Especially when it's about you. They'll know, you, they'll know something has gripped your life when you return ridicule against you with, yeah, but I love them. They'll know somebody has captured your attention when the very people you're supposed to despise are the very people you're found encouraging and serving and even walking life with. Lastly, they'll know you follow Jesus when you love someone you're supposed to hate. They'll know you love Jesus when you love someone you're supposed to hate. As we pray, I want you to ask, maybe ask God, who are these people in my life? Who have I given myself the unfortunate right to be able to have this opinion about them and it has caused some damage? Let God do that in your heart. Let God begin to sift through that so that you can be a different person on the other side. And maybe you need to ask for forgiveness for some of that stuff from him and from them. Not only Jesus, but the people that you've hurt. Maybe you need to go to them and say, I have wronged you. Maybe you don't even know that I've wronged you, but I've wronged you. I've had this opinion of you and I'm sorry. I think it's about time that sometimes we give up that right that we think we feel to damage other people. Let's pray. God, as we understand it, we believe that you desire us to care for each other. God, I pray that we would start right in this room, right in our own church, right at Living Word, and we would begin to see that there's something bigger at stake than our own self-preservation. There's something bigger at stake than us fighting for our own um, rights. God, there is something huge at stake, and it is for the people out there, right here in Ontario, New York, that there are people that need to know that we're different because we love you. God, set us free from the arrogance that we sometimes feel because we are Christians and because we have a faith in you that our opinions are superior. God, take that, strip us from it, God, so that we can be the people that you've called us to be, the humble, the contrite, the meek, God, that you ask us to be so that we can make a difference in the world. Help us to not settle for anything less than what you desire from us. In Jesus' name, amen. All right.